Discord. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Elevate Your Grind, brought to you by the Cannabis Lab. I am your host, Todd Rosales, and it is another lovely edition of the show, folks. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the series that we've had since we've been back. Um, I am very happy to be doing this show regularly again. The schedule is cleared up. We are having fun. We are enjoying ourselves. Um, it is the holidays, and hopefully there are no more conferences that we have to go schlep to. But we are always going to have these conversations here at Elevate Your Grind. Folks, we have a very special guest today, and I know I uh, I get, probably get crucified for saying that all the time, but that's the point of the show. Every guest is special, right? Because they're all people that I admire in the industry. Today's guest has a special place in my heart because she helped create the very program that I am a patient of. Um, she had the coolest title in the world. Absolutely. Hands down. I have not heard a bigger, a better title than this because I, uh, I've done some work with some breweries and they've had some crazy titles. Like the marketing person was party girl and the CEO was big kahuna. And that's not real. This was a actual title. Her title for the Florida department of agriculture and consumer services was the director of cannabis. There's nothing better than that. Maybe the only thing you can get and it doesn't exist yet is maybe chief cannabis officer. And I haven't seen that yet. Right. But if you guys know anything about the Florida medical marijuana market, if you know anything about the Florida hemp market, you know exactly who I'm talking about. So without any further ado, please welcome to desk today's guest, Holly Bell. Holly, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Todd. What a what a great introduction. I couldn't well, ask for anything better. <laughs> it's, it's very easy to introduce somebody who's done a lot of impressive things. So thank you for That's making it easy on me. That's so, kind of, thank you. So, so Holly, you have a very interesting background, right? You know, I, I was familiar with you, obviously, with your position with FDAX and folks, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services is abbreviated as FDAX, because if I wanted to run a podcast and say it that way, we'd be here for a couple hours. So, um, you know, prior to FDAX, you had a very eclectic entrepreneurial background, right? And when you look at somebody, at least in today's time with the way everything's going, you don't associate someone with your background for a government position, right? Um, you see more people who you think have been in politics longer than that, but you were a serial entrepreneur. Like I look at your background, you started out in the banking and financial services world. From there, you did a lot with startups and consulting. I know you've done media platforms, which I'd love to talk about some of the media platforms because I'm a big country music fan myself, you know, spending time in Tallahassee, Florida, where you're from. You know, what, what brought you into the world of hemp and cannabis. And if I understand it correctly, you actually started your journey into this industry, if you will, in Tennessee before coming to Florida. I did. And um, so eclectic background is pretty accurate. I am a serial entrepreneur, but also work for corporate America a lot. But in corporate America, got tagged with the title of an entrepreneur, meaning CEOs would hire me to start new divisions, new groups and states which I specialized in entertainment banking and I was in Nashville for 27 years. So country music, all other kinds of genres of music, TV and film are the people I banked. And that's where I got introduced to cannabis. And because my clients in the banking world were saying, hey, we're going to do this, or their attorneys were saying, hey, we're going to co-brand, use their likeness and image for a brand in the cannabis space. What do you think? I, as a banker, had to start thinking, okay, that's federally illegal. Can we still bank them if they're doing this? 
So that's what got me exposed to cannabis. That's where I took the deep dive into understanding how to bank it, what it is, what the laws are. And that's where my journey began. I met the commissioner, Nikki Freed, uh, when I did that. She was a consultant in the cannabis space. And one of my dear friends in the entertainment space decided he was going to get into cannabis. So he came to me as a banker for advice and ideas. And I said, yeah, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And here's why. You're the third person I've told to do that. Um, so he was using the commissioner as a consultant. I got introduced to her through some banking calls along with a lady in Colorado named Sunday Seafried, who runs partner Colorado Credit Union, Safe Harbor Banking. And we all as a group got to know each other to help these MMTCs out here in Florida get bank accounts and help the banks in Florida understand how to bank them. And the rest just kind of evolved from there. When I learned that the commissioner was running for ag commissioner, I jokingly sent her a text and said, really, ag commissioner? And she popped back, yeah. And why don't you, um, I said, whatever I can do to help you. So I was in Tennessee and I just told some friends about her. Then after she won, I sent her a congratulatory email, text, and she said, why don't you come work for me? I have an idea. And she interviewed several of us and offered me the job. And I, I will tell you, it's a very cool title. I enjoyed it oh so much. And um, when she first told me what she was thinking for me to do, I just laughed quite a bit because I'm, you know, I've got a daughter in her thirties and her friends and they all laughed at me. But when I asked her what it entailed and what she wanted me to do, I, I actually said, you know, that's exactly what I do in banking. It's a project. You want me to start a new program. It involves multiple things, multiple groups. I know how to manage that. I do it all the time. I've done it five times for banks. I'm in. So that's kind of where it all started. The entertainment industry to meeting the commissioner to then um, coming down here and doing the project. That's awesome. So I'm just going to make the assumption that Willie Nelson introduced you to cannabis. <laughs> I don't think he's the one, but that name did come up in some conversations. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm, you know, I just go Nashville cannabis. It makes sense to me. Um, although I, I think it permeates throughout country music a little bit more than that. You know, it's funny. We talk about your eclectic background and the fact that, you know, you, you kind of built your career in the banking industry as the entrepreneur that that you discussed. And I want to go back to your time with, with Commissioner Freed and, and all that. But funny enough, you actually have your degree in agricultural economics. So you went to the dark side in banking, but you 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 were educated on this. This is essentially going back to your roots. Am I correct? Yeah, um, that shocked a lot of people. And it shocked the commissioner when I first told her, uh, I am a Purdue graduate from the agriculture school and agriculture economics, and I was actually raised on a farm. So I grew up in 4-H, FFA, all of that my whole life. I know the agriculture community very well, and they all know me. Um, you know, my stepdad was president of the National Cattlemen's Association, the National Lamb um, Group also. So very entrenched in that agriculture community and understand it quite a bit. That's awesome. So when we actually start looking at your background, it's almost like 
you were bred for this between the agricultural background, the banking and finance background, the business background with the consulting and the fact that you have experience of what I call, uh, you know, like a business person, Navy SEAL, where we're going to take you in a helicopter, we're going to drop you into a field and you got to figure out how to build a base and operations and everything else from there. And I'd imagine, you know, that jumping into the Florida medical marijuana and, and hemp market was very similar to that. You know, there have been multiple people that I've, I've saw, I've seen, I know you've said it, and I think other people have said it that I even think Ron DeSantis might've said it too, that the hemp program in the state of Florida is the gold standard for the rest of the country to start replicating. And you were very instrumental in that. So let's start with the hemp program, right? We have the farm bill pass, you're you're working with FDAX and you know this is to me more of a, a gray space right because hemp can be so many things as i understand and again i just go off of what i can read on on the news and the googles if you will that you know when you were in tennessee it was really more focused on industrial hemp which is something that i'm very enthralled with and i think it is a big part of the future of our company, our country and i hope to see more of that but when we come to florida I believe a lot of it was really geared towards CBD production, right? So, you know, you have this substance now that's kind of this cannabis light. And, you know, I go back and forth on CBD because I hate, and, and you guys were doing a lot of this and I'll, I'll turn it over to you to talk about more, but I hate all this bullshit that you see in gas stations and all these market, all these digital marketers that came out with this bullshit CBD product so they can make money and they're just better at marketing it than someone who's a farmer or someone who is a, a chemist or, or someone who understands how to make these compounds that are truly good. And that part of the industry pisses me off, to be honest. But then you have, you know, legitimate side of it where there are great purposes for CBD. It does a lot of things for folks that are really helpful. And it I think it is a great way to dip your toe into the world of cannabis, especially if you're considering it from a medical or therapeutic standpoint. And I think, you know, there are a lot of good companies that have come out of Florida in that vein as well, too, probably because the program here is so great. So I'd love to hear, you know, and if you want to combine the medical marijuana into that, I don't know how much they kind of intertwine with each other, but I would love to hear, you know, how you started approaching the hemp program, because I, I hear amazing things about it and I do hear that this is the one to replicate elsewhere. Well, thanks. Um you know, I was really fortunate at FDAX to have a large resource pool of coworkers to work with. And they had, prior to me getting here in February, anticipated the bill and they had started thinking about rules, how they would run a program in meeting and doing some basic research. So <clears throat> FDAX has over 3,000 employees and um, it involved three to four divisions within FDAX. And we probably were a group of about 30 that met every week for from February on through till May, till it got the bill got passed. So we had a pretty good framework. We did a lot of due diligence looking at other states. And my father-in-law is a uh, former state senator in West Virginia, and he passed the lottery bill. So I actually went to him and said, I don't have any political experience. I do have a lot of business experience and savvy and, and knowledge. Help me understand what I need to do here. And he he gave me some framework and some ideas about going out and talking to other states, figure out what they did well, what they didn't do well, what you would change. Give me a copy of your rules. 
So we literally scoured the United States for any programs that were up and going, even if they were adult use like Colorado, and asked them those questions, got their list, got their rules, read them diligently, and came back together as a group and started to form our basic ideas of how we wanted the program to work. One of the things that I did probably for the team more than anything is I didn't bring years of regulatory and governmental experience to the table. So when they would tell me how they were going to do something, my first question would be, okay, help me understand how that improves the program or it makes it a better program. Because if it doesn't, then we're not wasting taxpayer dollars to do that. We're going to be diligent and mindful with the few dollars we're given. And we're going to make this a non-burdensome, I guess I would call it, program to the point that it's just not cost effective for farmers, retailers, manufacturers, extractors to run. So I tried to use a real common sense business approach when we set it up. And we would ask those questions all the time. The other thing that we did quite a bit, and I had PhDs on my committee, um, people with years of regulatory inspection, legal, marketing, um, just really deep resources of knowledge and knowledge of Florida. So we would, um, you know, make a list. Is this going to improve the program? Is it not? What do we want this rule that we're doing to do and accomplish? What loopholes are we trying to close so that we protect consumers? We looked at that. Then we would look at, okay, if we tell them they can't do this, we will probably be pushed by the industry. So let's go out and look at the legality of it. And if we get pushed on this and taken to court, what are the odds that we're going to win? Do we have a good case or did we just make an emotional decision? We're not going to make emotional decisions, guys. We're going to make sound business decisions that can be held up in court. And so when it comes to like Delta 8, Delta 10, I have taken some heat over that. But in all honesty, if you look at statute, you look at um, court case history, proving things beyond a reasonable doubt, scientific tests, the data, the science is not out there to do some of the things that some of these states have said this is illegal. And we, we took hours and hours checking that out before we made the decision to allow some of those in the state of Florida. So a lot of due diligence, just a lot of, I just go back to say it was common sense and business sense. Yeah. So I, that's really interesting, right? Because from, from an outsider's perspective, you know, and maybe it's humor, maybe it's not, you know, they say that nothing gets done quickly in government at all. It's a very, very slow moving machine you know, in business and especially your background in the startup world, you, you have to move fast. You have to be patient and move fast at the same time. You have to be able to be diligent. You have to be able to pivot on, you know, a, a turn on a dime, if you will, for lack of a better term, because I had a better term to say and it escaped my mind. But essentially it's, I imagine someone like you going into government, it, it was a little bit of an adjustment. And I know you just kind of touched on that, but I, I feel like, you know, some of the things that you wanted to do, you may not have been able to do or maybe not be able to do as quickly. And, you know, in, in a business at the end of the day, 
everyone's kind of there to make money. Now the business might have a higher purpose and what you do in that business may serve the world in a better place, but it also needs to make money so it can survive. Whereas in the government, you have people in there that do have government ambitions and they're representing the people from where they're from and they might disagree with you on something. And again, these are all assumptions. I've never been in government. They might disagree with something that might make sense just because it may not be best for the people that they want to get votes votes from. Right now, I, I imagine that most of the people that you were working with are more employees than elected officials. But, you know, it, I, I, was it a challenge at first to go from the world of business and go from the world of startups as well? to government because of all the things that us normal people outside of government hear about? Yes. Um, I, I frequently would sit around with my friends and say, I wonder how that happened when we'd be talking about things in the political world and laws and statutes. And then I got in there and I, I'm that person that's pretty quiet when I'm first entering a new scenario and I'm going to observe, ask a lot of questions before I start speaking up to learn how it's done and you know what goes into it. And I will tell you, I dealt with both employees and elected officials and then the general public, the voting public. Everybody has a different angle. Everybody wants something a little different. So you've got to learn how to work with all of them and please all of them and understand how the system works. And yes, that was an education for me and I learned a lot. And there was several people who were really kind and took me under their wing, I would say, and said, listen, this is how it works. Here's what you need to know. And here's what you need to look at. Frustrating on some days because I couldn't get rules done as fast as I wanted. Um, gratifying on other days because I was getting the backing of both parties from the elected side. They wanted to see this. Um, frustrating on some days that there were federal laws that would slow down economic development in the state and money and grants that would come should be coming to us that go to other commodities. So it was sometimes an up and down every day, but um, a lot of great people that I got to work with that helped with that. And I loved your scenario about dropping me in um, like a, the Navy SEAL team. Uh, I can relate to that. Have a lot of friends that were in special ops. My first husband was, and um, I will tell you the the most shocking thing that was said to me after the fact was, "Wow, you really did it." And I said, "What do you, What do you mean?" And they said, "Nobody thought you could do it. They thought they gave you an impossible task. They thought they put enough hurdles up that you wouldn't get it done, but you did it." That's and they're awesome. all like, wow. And I said, I didn't think there was an option not to get it done. <laughs> That's that awesome. was my mentality. I was given a task. You were supposed to get it done. Yeah. And I, I wish there was a lot more people in the world like you for that. Right. Um, you know, it is one skill set to take, you know, to, to be helicoptered into the middle of nowhere and figure out what you have to do. But there are people who have blueprints that can't figure it out as well too so a you do have an amazing skill set but i really wish there were more people that had the drive where this is the goal we've got to accomplish it if we hit the one roadblock the second roadblock whatever it is it's fine we're going to figure that out we're going to move past it and i think a lot of people and especially in today's day and age like things get difficult and they're just like yeah it's not possible right they can't see the other side of the roadblock 
Um, I want to transition into the medical marijuana program here in Florida because we do have an interesting one, right? And, you know, I've had my opinions on it and I don't need to bring those up here. Um, we have an amazing program that generates a ton of revenue. I think last year, the year before, the last figure I saw was like $1.4 billion in the state. We have a state of over 30 million people. Um, we have 700,000 patients right now. We have I think 22 operators, right? And it's completely vertically integrated. Um, I really enjoy the progress I'm seeing in the industry going from, you know, a smaller amount of licensees. Um, we're, you know, products that the typical consumer was unfamiliar with to more familiar products. And now you're seeing a, a relax relaxation in the rules to where I don't want to say where you can almost have some rec style facilities, but the marketing has changed a little bit. We can see some brand names coming in here that are are bringing genetics um, or helping cultivate the MMTCs that are here, helping them with better cultivation practices. Um, you know, the style is coming more to what people are familiar with cannabis. You know, how difficult is it kind of creating that again from scratch, especially with the restrictions that are in place? Um, I think I've seen you talk about the the requirements for vertical integration. Do you see Florida relaxing that ever and going into more of a horizontal system? Can we find people that are just really good at cultivation and let them focus on that and others that are really good at retail and branding, let them focus on that? Or are we going to see this, you know, if you want to get into the cannabis industry in Florida, you need to show proof of funds of over $100 million and and, you know, open up 30 stores and open up a cultivation and a distribution and a retail. I'm curious to know your thoughts on the program and, and where, where it should go from here. So, yeah, I'm and I've been vocal about it. Um, great program. And we could make it even greater if we did one basic thing. Let's finish the rules. They never got done. There's no excuse for that. Um, having gotten rules done for a much larger program in six months, that's the very first thing that needs to happen. They operate on emergency rules, which is not cost effective for taxpayer dollars. Because by the way, the medical program, when you say generates revenue, what it generates revenue is out in the economy through rental income, um, people bought the MMTCs buying things. They pay no taxes nor does the medical marijuana patient pay any sales tax to the state of Florida. So the legislative body has to actually fund that program, unlike the hemp program. We were self-funded and self-funded ourselves. So first of all, let's, let's run the program more economically beneficial to taxpayers. Next, let's do that by getting our rules done. That is going to help vertical integration and in patients immensely. Then number two, I don't know that we can continue on with vertical integration. It is so capital intensive for a new person to enter into the market. You ask about finding somebody that's just good at cultivation. Just Yes, those people exist. They would flock to Florida in a heartbeat. It is our elected officials who choose to keep it vertically integrated and not bust that up. You can look at Colorado, it's not vertically integrated, thriving, thriving program with no negative outcomes. So 
the problem we have now is we've got a lot, we've got 23, 24 licensees who have invested a lot of intensive capital and time into being vertically integrated. If we break it up, that could cause some financial issues for some of those people. So it would have to be a very well thought out change if we do that in Florida at this point. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And I see both sides of the argument for sure. You know, if I was, especially if I was a newer license holder, you know, and, and I'll call them out. Nobody else has to hold my opinion, but someone like truly like they're going to stay vertically integrated They're They've built their business. It's designed for what they do in my opinion. Right. I think, you know, if there was an advantage from them, from a business standpoint to, to go into litigation or anything else like that, maybe, but as far as competing with everybody else they've been here for a while but you know some of these newer license holders if all of a sudden you you had to put up the money for the application you had to show the proof of funds you had to build out your facilities and then all of a sudden the day you open they break up vertical integration it's like well wait a second we just invested all this money that we didn't even want to but we wanted to be in the state of florida i can see huge huge problems there the other thing i think that's an issue with the way that we have our our market set up is I think it's fueling the black market and it's not the fact that you have people just going to the black market because it's not priced right or they don't want to get a card or anything else. I believe that there are brands from elsewhere that truly want their product in Florida. And we're at a point in time where a lot of these MMTCs don't feel the need to pay 5%, 6%, 10% to somebody else to essentially sell their own product with some marketing help. Now, I know some of the licensing deals are a little bit more complicated that there might be some genetics and processes and SOPs involved. But at the end of the day, you could also hire employees to do that. You don't need to pay a, a 5 to 10% commission on the product that you sell every time to get a brand that is popular in California or Colorado. So I believe that a lot of these brands are coming here and selling to the black market because they want to build a following here for eventually when it goes wrecked or when it goes a horizontal or honestly, just so they can make additional cash because they know there is a desire for that product in Florida. And I think that is one of the biggest issues that we're facing. That's interesting. I've never heard that said before, but I love what you just said. It, it really makes me think quite a bit differently about the black market. And now that you say that as a regulator, I did find those products illegally out there. Now that you say that. Yeah. I mean, um, if you look at New York, right, if you, there are legitimate California products on the shelves in New York, right, right mm -hmm. now, because New York has that gray area and not, obviously it's not happening in Florida. We don't have stores where you can go in and it looks like a California dispensary, but you know, there are, Brands that do have legal operations in other states that want to be in Florida so bad that they're willing to go black market for it. Yeah, you're right. We did catch some here, yeah. uh, especially down in Southern Florida. Our inspectors Southern Florida. Florida. We're a mess down here. <laughs> um, you guys just have a lot more excitement going on down there. That's we what do. We do. I see. I don't know. It's funny. Like I can talk about the Florida program forever and the things I like and I don't. And it's funny because I remember DeSantis coming out and making the comment that Florida companies should pay more for the licenses because they're so valuable. And I'm in my head, I'm like, can someone just show you how much revenue that the state would make if we text it and made it recreational? Like, there's your more money. And to your point, like you just said, 
the companies don't pay tax. The patients don't pay tax. The state of Florida, in my opinion, is missing out on a huge chunk of revenue. You know, obviously, I know it didn't really go anywhere, but have you guys, you know, when you were in the position as you were evaluating this, have you guys run that like financial analysis of what that can mean to the state? FDAX didn't run it, but there have been several groups that have run it that are pushing for recreational and the numbers are huge. And um, it would take a burden away from the budgetary line items at the legislation or legislative issue or level. Um, I think they funded, I can't remember how much they funded the OMMU with, but it was millions that they had to fund. I think it's 30 million that they got um, to run that program last year. And there's no reason for that. Uh, That could be a self-funded program and it could also help the state with tax revenue. Look at Colorado, look at other states. It could also help the existing licensees. If we go recreational or I like adult use, um, so yeah, it's in it's in the multi, hundreds of millions. It would quickly get to billions. Yeah. If you think about the tourism industry, um, look at what happened in Las Vegas after they legalized there. It just shot through the roof and the yeah. sales. So the same thing here, and um, yeah, I I think it would be in the billions within five years. Not only would you have the people coming down to like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and all the beaches, but imagine how many parents would get it would get it before they took their kids to Disney. It just makes sense, right? Um, I I being one of those, so and they'd be uh, happier. Everybody'd be happier. It really does become the happiest place on earth once once you're on medical cannabis. And you know, it's funny. I I've been saying for the longest time. I think when when whenever we reach parity with cannabis, whether that's adult use across the country, whether everybody has their own rules still. I say number the the top three markets, New York, California, Florida. And that yes. that's my opinion. Yes. So one of the best stories I ever heard in, in this journey that I've had in cannabis was in Tennessee, we were trying to talk to the elected officials early on and and law enforcement. So we brought in the sheriff from Arizona. He had made a conscious decision to allow his inmates to have uh, cannabis. And um, I think it was Arizona, Uh, but he actually was very factual about it. And what he said was, he goes, listen, I run a a prison and I have to run it on a budget, like it or not, that's what it is. And my costs for opiate addicts because they would get in fights, go to the dispensary to get the opiates, the medical costs, the disability for my guards, the injuries for my guards, the damage to my facility was this. I let them start having medical cannabis or I started letting them have cannabis. The fights went away. The disability decreased and he had a statistic. It was dramatic. The opioid use went down. And he said, and the added benefit was my commissary sales went up because they were- <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I and think you know it- what? Everybody's happy. Yeah. It's a much nicer place than it ever was. He said, whether I agree with cannabis or not, that was a good decision for taxpayers, individuals, everybody all around. And that's what I guess I would like to be home to people is 
take the emotion out of it mm-hmm. and look at it. Cause my sister's a doctor. She's an anesthesiologist and she's been told her whole life. It's bad, bad, bad. It's a gateway drug. And I, so we have this passionate discussion all the time. And I said, the minute you'll take the emotion out of it is the minute I'll start to really debate with you. Uh, we've just gotten too caught up in the emotion of it and need to look at it more practically. I agree. And I really agree with that. And it's funny. I say the same thing. I say that anybody who has an opposition to cannabis is coming from a place of ignorance and not ignorance in the place that of what the word has become, but ignorance in the sense that they're ignoring the facts, right? They just don't know. They've never had a personal experience with it. They don't know too many people. And maybe if they did have a personal experience, it was way back when, and they had a bad experience, right? And it's stronger now. And if you were to retry cannabis now, you wouldn't be smoking as much as you did in the 70s or 80s or whenever, because the the it's up and that's fine. You just take less of it, which is more economical in, in a sense, right? But- I, you know, I look at what's going on in the industry. I look at people like, and I've mentioned her many times, my friend, Erica Daniels, who runs Hope Grows for Autism and seeing what a cannabis tincture has done for her son with autism, the life that it allows him to live and the work that she's doing for other um, autistic children. How can you look at something like that and say, this is a bad thing, right? When you look at the the cancer patients and the people who are just want comfort in life and it provides it to them the people with eating disorders, some people even as simple as like an ADHD patient where it allows them to focus. If we bottle this up and put it in a pill that dissolves in your stomach, it wouldn't even be an argument, right? It would be, this is amazing. It's a miracle drug, but because it's a plant that's rolled up and smoked or put into a glass piece that looks ornate and smoked. And in that sense, it's still frowned upon. And that's what blows my mind because we look at the small subset of cannabis users. And I didn't learn this until I got older. We look at the guys that are hanging out on the street to, you know, and smoking weed and causing issues. And you see some of these studies that cannabis users are this or that. It's like, well, they also use other things, right? Those are not cannabis users. Those are drug users. And cannabis happens to be one of the drugs that they use, right? As I got older, I found out that the majority of people I know consume cannabis, maybe not regularly, but on a pretty often basis. And most of the people that I know are pretty successful. They're entrepreneurs, they're business owners, and they're executives. And to your exact point, we look at what's visible to us because the people that are the lazy stoners, they have that attitude where they don't care. They'll be out there. They'll be smoking. And that's the visual we have. The guy who has his Series 7 and has a, you know, $100 million book of business at Merrill Lynch is not going to talk about his cannabis book or his cannabis use because he has too much to lose. And I don't know if you feel that way as well. No, I totally feel that way. There's a stigma attached to it that um, got put out there. It was the best marketing campaign ever. And um, it's sad, but it did happen. I mean, but, you know, that same guy with the Series 7 can go out and have five martinis and everybody thinks, yeah, that's a good thing. You know, oh, yeah. He's having a good time. Okay, well, I don't know that I want you managing my money if you're having martinis at lunch. So yeah. <laughs> um, I could say the same thing there. Uh, you know, I, I recently left FDAX and went to work back out into the private sector. That was my next transition. Well, so <laughs> um, I'm going to jump ahead of you. We have Dr. Annabelle Morgan there, and she recently put out a book 
she has a son who was born with brain damage and he was having terrible seizures. And so she did a pioneering surgery after much study and they took away a significant portion of his brain and it stopped the seizures. And then he was on multiple medications. She developed a tincture out of cannabis for him and started giving it to him, not telling his doctors and reducing his medication. That child is in a normal classroom learning at the same pace as other children his age. He's not been held back a year or anything else. When you meet and see him, it is an amazing story. And they just put out a book and they're going to start doing a book tour with him and her. I, I, you know, I was floored when she told me the story and how cannabis changed his life and their life. So I look at that, like you said, and say, how can you say this is a bad thing? Because you haven't even get a, given it the chance to do proper medical research. Agreed. Um, so we need to do more of that. And she's been very instrumental in doing that. Sadly, she gets a lot of it done in Europe. But with Biden's recent signing of the research bill, we're hoping that the medical re or the university review boards and all of that will start to embrace more actual cannabis research versus just observational research is what they've really allowed in the past where you could question patients and see. But I do believe this is the start of cannabis being truly recognized to do some proper research, I would call it. I'm, I'm really excited about that too. And so you recently transitioned, you were the vice president of regulatory at Flora Growth, which is a great company. I'm very familiar with them. Heisman actually did a collab with one of their, um, one of the companies within Flora Growth, Vessel. Um, and we do a regular collabs with them. And I was a big fan of Vessel prior to the acquisition. And I'm a bigger fan of what it's done since the acquisition. You know, going back to those ornate glass products, I think Vessel, and, and that's, I'm sorry, that's just the one I'm most familiar with. Um, they make some of the most beautiful cannabis accessories that I've seen. Definitely things that you can have out in your home and people wouldn't know what it is or wouldn't question it. And it just doesn't look like the old school drug stuff. Um, making the transition into the private sector, I, it, you know, it's funny, you're the vice president of regulatory. In my head, I have this idea, like there wasn't even a job interview. They just asked you, it's like, Oh, what are your, what are your, uh, you know, what are your qualifications for this? Well, it's like, I wrote a lot of rules in most of the municipalities, so I kind of know them because I'm the author. Yeah, it was funny. Um, I did, I did have to go through interviews with the CEO and, and one of the, um, company's founders. So, um, they offered me the job and they said, you're going to report to the general counsel. And I said, okay. And he called me and he said, oh my God, I just read your resume. I'm so excited. I thought I was getting this long-term government regulator. He said, you just did it for a short period of time. You're really a corporate person. I said, oh yeah. So great rapport, great company. And yes, it's a new position. I'm kind of make it up as I go. But the reason I left and took it was they are an international cannabis company. And that's the next big boom is the international market and watching all these countries like Domino's start to 
legalize it and they're doing it as adult use pretty much right off the bat for a lot of them. So I get the opportunity to learn international law now. And it's fascinating. It's fun. It's like doing a puzzle every day because you have to figure it out. And there are a lot of different things that have to work. So imagine having a farm in Colombia and you're growing cannabis and you're making distillate isolate and it's a nice, lovely white powder that you're going to import into the United States. The red flags that go off when you do that and the comical journey to get that product from Colombia to the United States the first time was hilarious, but we did it. And now everybody knows us and knows what we're doing. And then to get it into Switzerland for the first time, the Czech Republic for the first time. And now we're going to Portugal and Germany. And it's just absolutely um, fascinating on a daily basis to work with this, learn these laws and start to move product internationally to help people. And at the end of the day, that's really probably what motivates me more than anything are the stories about how it helps people and makes them feel better. So um, I'm just really excited about what we're doing now on the international side. That, that sounds absolutely amazing because I'm, I'm really excited for when that opens up a little bit more. I had a converse. I've, I've, a lot of my friends who are not in the industry, they always ask my opinion and everything else. And I say, if anything, the reason for either federal legality or descheduling is I believe that a legalizing cannabis in the state, you've got jobs, you've got agriculture jobs, you've got blue collar jobs, you've got farmers, processors, factory workers, truck drivers, um, all of that. And by bringing that back to this country, because we've, you know, for the past since call it like the, the late nineties, like this country has done a great job at creating thinking jobs, if you will. And and that's a gross, you know, generalization of what they are, but technology companies, right? There are everybody, every other person is a software salesperson and you have engineers and you have all these people that have to have this specific level of education. And I know there are trade schools and self-learning. There are plenty of people who may never have gone to college or dropped out of high school that are high level coders and entrepreneurs and stuff, but it is mostly in the tech world and it's complicated. And that's where a lot of the venture capital and stuff is going into. But if we look at something like cannabis and it's just simple, it is true blue collar jobs, what this country was built on after World War II, where we became a superpower with. And if we bring that back along with the tax revenue, the jobs and everything else, it brings back American, you know, like I said, farming. And then if we can get to a point where we can be an exporter of it, I see that being one of the biggest economic booms that this country has on the table right now. I don't know where it will rank in the terms of history and where that would go. But as far as all the options that we're looking at is what we can do to improve the economy of this country, I just certainly do not see a better option. And by no means do I just mean regular you know, Delta 9 THC cannabis, I mean, the whole gambit, your industrial hemp, your CBD, your, you know, isolated cannabinoids, and as well as medical and recreational cannabis, I truly do believe that that is what's best for this country, from an economic standpoint, first and foremost, and just in general. Yeah, well said, very well said. And 
the beauty about what you just described and said is there's a seat at the table for anybody with any level of education, experience, and capital. So that is what I saw in the hemp program. And I thoroughly loved that. This can benefit so many different groups of people. And you said at the industrial side, oh my gosh, it there's so much that we could do there. The essential oil on the hemp side, there's still a lot of growth there. And then on the adult use or medical side, a lot of growth there. The one thing that I'm learning that we need to be aware of in the United States is we have all this land and we don't, we take it for granted. They don't outside of the United States, especially Europe. So cost effective to grow and produce here. Yeah. We could really have some benefits to our farmers to grow here. Um, we can do it, grow it, process it much cheaper here than a lot of other places in the United States or in the world. Sorry. Holly, I don't know if we've seen the end of your run in government, and I don't know if we'll be volunteering, but with the education that you have, I imagine that when the conversations are had, that someone's going to ring your phone for some advice. So I'm glad that you were here. I'm glad that you helped with the program that I am a part of. I'm excited to see what you're doing at Flora Growth and the international expansion and the things you're doing there. We uh we are coming up on the top half of the hour or bottom half of the hour. I don't really know which one's the correct term, but we've been talking for a long time and I don't want to hold you up too much because you have very important work to do. Tell me what you're excited about for the future of flora growth and for the future of the cannabis industry in general. So uh, a couple things. I'm excited at flora growth about more international expansion and moving into Germany. We just announced an acquisition and um, that hopefully will be closed by the end of the year. And I'm really excited about that and what's going to happen in Europe. In the United States, I think in the next two weeks, we're going to see some movement from our elected officials on safe banking and protecting cannabis on the banking side and the banks that want to get into that industry. Third thing I'm excited about is I do believe we're going to start to see some movement on the federal side to make it take it off the scheduling and or make it legal. And I, I do think we're close on that. So I'm, it gets me very excited. And thank you for all you do in the industry and helping the industry grow. Thank you so much. This is I am happy to do this. This is the most fun thing that I do all the time. I get to have great conversations with people like you. So I will sit behind this desk for as long as I can and have these conversations. Holly, before we let you go, is there anything you want to promote websites, social medias, any of that? No, good. Um, just uh, the one thing that I know we all need to do more of, and, and we're getting to that point is better consumer education. So that's the one thing you'll see me out there really talking about and promoting in the next couple of years is we've got to educate our consumers more. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you to Holly and thank you to everybody at home for watching this. This has been another amazing episode of Elevate Your Grind. Of course, if you missed any part of this episode and you'd like to check out the a probably almost 200 episodes in our library, you can check that out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to check out the video version of this podcast, you can always find that at youtube.com slash at the Cannabis Lab. 
And if you want to check out more about C-Lab, we are a great organization. The lab stands for law, accounting, and business. We're going to be expanding throughout the state of Florida in the next year. So watch us grow. And you can check that out at www.joincelab.com. Folks, this has been another episode of Elevate Your Grind. We're out.